So back when I was in the seminary, one of my summer jobs was as a professional mover. Not, a, not, not dancing, but like moving people from place to place. And it was a local place in Milwaukee. It was just local moves. But I started out just as a regular mover, like move boxes, you know, move from one location to the next. But I quickly was promoted to not just mover, but driver. So I would drive the truck and, you know, go from location to location. Now, this was back in 2003, 2004, somewhere in there. And so this was before we all had GPS phones. We could just plug in the location. Um, for those of you who were driving back then, do you remember what we had to do? <laughs> Cry. Um, I heard someone say, map, you're really old school. But back in the early 2000s, we had this wonderful website called MapQuest. Yes, MapQuest. And what you did was you'd go to this website, plug in the destination, plug in your origin. It, it would kick out all the directions for you. And then you would do this thing called print it out. And you would take this sheet of paper. So that's what my job entailed. As the driver for the truck, they would hand me this, these MapQuest directions. I would take the MapQuest. I would drive the truck while looking at the directions. And step by step, it would show me where to turn and where to go, which worked out great until one day I got a few streets away from where I was supposed to be. And there's no plan B with this. Like It doesn't recalculate on the spot and tell you where to go and how to, how to fix it. And I remember, like, I have no idea where to go. Like, I know the address. I know where I'm supposed to go. But I'd have no idea where I am. And what I learned, what we all learn eventually, is that it's difficult to get to where you want to be if you don't know where you are. And, and isn't this so true of life? You know where you want to be career-wise. You know where you want to be marriage-wise. You know where you want to be health-wise. You know the ideal, but it's really hard to get to where you want to be if you don't know where you are and how you got here. In order to get from point A to point B, you need to know where point A begins. And that's my real quick, basic, simple introduction for what we're going to be working through in this series. Yes, Genesis is a historical account of our beginnings, but it's actually more than that. You see, today you have these phones where you plug in your destination. You don't need to plug in where you are now. Do you know why? You can just press a button. It says select current location and the almighty GPS satellites just know where you are. And they say, we know exactly where you're at. Here's how to get from here to there. And even if you're lost, even if you don't know where you are, you just say select location and you're good. And that's what the book of Genesis does for people to this day. You can go through life wondering, like, I know I, where I want to be, but where am I? Or, there's other questions, too. Not just where are you, but who are you? And why are you here? And there's some moments in life where you go through crisis, you go through chaos, uncertainty, and you just find yourself wondering, wait, where am I? Who am I? Why am I? And how did I get to where I'm at? What I found is that when you read through the first 11, 12 chapters of Genesis, the location for where you are gets narrower and narrower and narrower. These chapters, one at a time, just pin down where you are, who you are, and why you are here. And my hope, Ben's hope, as we talked about this series, is that as we look at our beginnings, 
It would help you navigate toward where God wants you to be. Your beginnings in Genesis help you figure out where you are so that you can get to where God wants you to be. And what we're going to see today is, even as we look at the world around us, the world around us shows us something so interesting that we actually long for something that we're no longer in. And if you don't recognize that, it'll have you looking in the wrong place for where you really should be. So I wanted to save a lot of time here, but here's kind of my introduction for the series. Number one, Genesis reveals where you are and how you got there with the idea that then God can lead you to where you want to be, where he wants you to be. So we're going to work through Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 25 today. And these verses are going to show you the world around you, how the world got to where it is and how you got to where you are. And by the end, here's kind of the spoiler of of the whole message. By the end, what we're going to see is that where you are is not where you were created to be. The world we're in now is not the world that was intended for us. And that's going to cause some tension and some longing. And we're going to see what God teaches about that today. So I'm going to try not to get too excited. There's just so much in Genesis 1. I'm like, okay, I need to boil it down for the people this week and just focus on what they need to know. So God help us. Um, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And just with this one sentence, I'm just going to bring out a few things that we're not going to be able to talk about for the rest. But not only is Genesis really interesting history, it's also really beautiful poetry. And it doesn't always come across in English, but it does come across in Hebrew, which is what it was originally written in. Like in the Hebrew, the word for beginning always has some sort of a correlation, a correlating marker. Like the beginning of a month, the beginning of a king's reign, there's always something it relates to. But the Hebrew grammar rules are broken for this first sentence of the Bible. There is no context for beginning. It's not the beginning of something. It's just the beginning of everything. And in one sentence, it just lays out for you where this world came from and where we came from. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, in English, we would say um, something like from head to toe, you're, you're covered. Like, you're covered head to toe. Well, in Hebrew, they say God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens, the sky above us, earth, everything below us. A to Z, he created everything. And it could have stopped there. Genesis chapter one could have just been one verse and said, okay, chapter two, let's talk about this guy named Adam and his wife named Eve. But instead of that, God spends an entire chapter fleshing out how this world came to be. And it's not until the end of chapter one that we even see humanity mentioned for the first time. God wants you to know the world that he intended for you to live in. So let's take a look at how this world started. Now, God created everything, but when it started, verse two, the earth was formless and empty. There was no shape. There were no characteristics. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's trying to describe what no human eye has seen and what we could never paint a picture of which is, what does it look like to have a universe that has not been fine-tuned by God? There, there are no laws of nature. There are no physics. There are no characteristics that can support life. It's just matter and space and time and energy. 
But there it was, darkness. But God was there. And even today, in in the darkest moments of your life, where there is no good, God is there. And where he is, there can be something new. God was hovering over over the waters. He was present like an eagle, watching out for its young, hovering, keeping watch. And then comes the first moment. The next verse, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. What other scriptures bring to light is that God brought everything into existence simply by speaking it. By the power of his word, he declared, let there be light, and it was. And what's worth noting is throughout scripture, you eventually see the word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And guess what he declared about you? He said, you are loved. I declare you justified before God on my behalf. I declare you innocent and loved. There's power when God declares something. And we see that in the very first few verses of Genesis. Let there be light. And then God does something interesting. He separates two opposites. He separates the light from the darkness. There is a time and a place for both things. God determines the limits of a thing. He ascribes a purpose to a thing. And he says, this is your role, this is your role, and there shall be a clear dividing line between the two. And you see this as creation unfolds even more. As he brings more things into his world, he says, these these are your limitations. This is where I want you. You have this purpose. You have that purpose. And the same is true when he created you. He created you in a specific way for a specific purpose. And we'll get especially to that next week as we look at the creation of humankind. Next verse. Then God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So the end of that verse, it's really interesting that even in the Hebrew, it would say, without any doubt, this was a 24-hour period of evening and morning. But one other thing to note with this is that it says God called the light day. Like he gave it a name. And do you know the significance of that? Sometimes we humans name things. Like if you're an astronomer, if you got a telescope and you find something way out there that no one has seen before, you have the right to name it. If, if you found it, you named it. What's interesting is that there's nothing in this universe that hasn't already been found. God has created everything. He has named everything. It has a purpose in his big scheme of things. There's no detail beyond his oversight. Now think about that. If he called day, if he called the light day and the darkness he called night, and we're going to see this, you know, further on also, he's going to name things because he has a purpose for them. What does this mean for you too? In the Bible, it says that you are inscribed on the palm of God's hand. Your name is known to him. He even knows the number of hairs on your head. That's incredible. He knows you. There's no detail beyond his comprehension because every detail is by intention. I know it's a common idea that this world, this universe, is just kind of one big cosmic accident. And we're not going to get much into the rebuttal of popular beliefs. We had some of that a few weeks ago in one of Pastor Ben's messages. What I want to do today is focus on the positive. 
that when it comes to who you are and why you're here, God knows it. This is no accident. This is all by God's design. So number two, every detail of this universe was by design. It was on purpose. It was intentional because God had something big planned for me and for you. Now just imagine this. The, 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 the most distant galaxies that we can hardly see today with our most advanced telescopes, God was like, yeah, I put that there. I also put up there a billion others that you'll probably never see. But all these details add up to one thing. They're for you. In fact, that's what we're going to see in this next part. Uh, the reason things are so big and awesome isn't because God is just flexing his divine muscle, although that, there was a little bit of that. But there was a specific purpose for everything he made. So God said, let there be a vault. This, was so, this is so um, unusual. I don't know if I completely know exactly what this is referring to, but I'll give you some options. God said, let there be a vault, a space, an expanse, or in some translations, a firmament between the waters to separate water from water. Again, he's separating two things, each for its own purpose. So God made the vault and he separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And what does he call this vault or this expanse? He calls it sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So for an entire day, God just does one thing. He creates this thing called sky. And there's some fantastical ideas about what this might refer to. Some suggest that this, this sky, this vault of water above us, was actually kind of an ancient atmosphere of earth where there was a, a, a big layer of moisture, of water that somehow encircled us. And the reason some people think that is two reasons. Number one, when the flood happened, where did all this water come from? Maybe it crashed down into the earth. Second thing is that before the flood, and we'll talk about the flood later in the series, before the flood, people lived a really long time. And I'm sure as Moses was writing down his account of early humanity, he's like, really, God, are people going to believe that Methuselah lived to be 969 years old? He's writing 960. People aren't going to believe this. People don't live that long anymore, but he wrote it. I mean, Methuselah was almost the original millennial. But some believe that because there was this expanse of water, this layer of water between us and the sun, life worked differently. Animals grew bigger. People lived longer. And there was just a different environment for, for, for organisms to thrive. Those are all conjectures. Another idea is that simply the sky is, is blue and the water beneath us is blue. And so let's just say that there's water and water. Maybe that from, from human perspective, that was the best way to describe it. What we know is that God fine-tuned our atmosphere to be the perfect amount of what we need to survive. And he spent an entire day doing that. Next thing, God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. So he already separated it this way. Now he's going to separate it this way and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. He's fine-tuning all the details of his creation. And then he did something with the land and the sea. Verse 11, God said, let the land produce vegetation, 
seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it. And I know this is obvious for us. We're like, of course, trees have seeds and plants have seeds. But just get this. It's one thing to invent a plant that grows. Like, that would be incredible. But to invent something that grows and then reproduces itself automatically with no work, that, that is an amazing, powerful creator to make that. And so according to all its various kinds, and it was so, so it's just the idea, the concept of seed is something that we just overlook, but just imagine the miracle of the power that God put into each and every one of those seeds. And then also the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning, this was the third day. According to their kinds is a phrase we're going to see come up a couple more times. And the significance of this is that when God creates something with a specific purpose, he created it with limitations according to that purpose. Sometimes we think of limitations as restrictive, like I want to be free, but the truth is that restrictions, limitations, actually focus us to do more than we could ever do without them. Uh, For a season of your life, you might be laser-focused on one aspect of your life, getting your finances in order, restoring a relationship, um, school. Like, you're laser-focused. You put up restrictions so that you can do that one thing really well. And God said, I will create life in this way. Plants will only bear fruit according to their kinds. They, They have this one role. I don't want them doing everything. This one thing. And man, those strawberries, they're gonna taste really good. But apple trees will never make oranges. Orange, orange trees will never make lemons. And I, I know we can graft and do all this weird biochemistry. I don't know any of that. But, but God said, this is the way I'm creating it within limits. Because when you put limits on a thing, it allows it to do its job even better. We're going to see this with humanity also, but we'll get there next week. Uh, next verse. So, uh, God said, let there be lights. This is... I know where some, of you are, where some of you are going, so just, I'll get there. Day four, God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky, way up there, to separate the day from the night. And let these lights in the sky serve as signs to mark sacred times so that when they see these things, they will remember me, God, and they will mark days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. There's so many different purposes and uses for these lights in the sky. Now, I know the question you're thinking. Day four, God creates the sun, moon, and the stars. So what exactly happened on day one? God said, let there be light. And there was light. But there was no source of light until day four. And the best way I can figure this out or think through it, again, Moses would have known this as he was recording this with with God's words. He would have known this too. But on day one, God was establishing the order for how things would work. He was restricting light to say, this is what your job will be. This is how your waves will work and how you will travel. And he, he laid out the groundwork for all the laws of nature and for how things would work together. And perhaps as we look at the book of Revelation, we can see one other, one other, one other um, clue as to what was happening. In God's perfect world, he himself is the light. And so on day one of creation, God said, let there be light. And it was, and it was good. 
And on day four, he finally gave an opportunity for some things to serve that light for people. Um, One other quick thing on this. There are a lot of non-biblical traditions that have their own creation accounts. And a lot of them mention the sun and the moon and the stars. And just about all of them refer to the sun and the moon and the stars as gods. They gave, they, they gave names to the, the sun and, and called it certain things. And they acknowledged that the sun is like a god and the moon is kind of like a lesser form of God. But what's interesting in, in Genesis is that God doesn't even give a name to the sun or the moon or the stars. And he certainly doesn't say, bow down and worship these things. Now, today we're much more complicated than that. We worship other parts of his creation, not the sun and the moon and the stars, but that's a different message for a different day. Rather, he says, these things are here to serve you. The sun, its role is to serve you. The the stars, they're here to serve you. And that's one thing we learn about creation. Number three, that everything around us was designed to serve us. The plants, the animals, everything was created to serve you. Now, as a follower of Jesus, there is a middle ground because when you recognize that this creation was given as a gift to serve you, you in turn will use this gift as a good steward and be responsible with it. And if you're meeting with your growth group this week, or if you just want to have a conversation at home, one of the discussion questions along with the sermon notes will guide you through that. Like, how do you you be a good steward of something while also recognizing that its role is to serve you? You don't want to worship it as your idol, but you do want to take good care of it. And I think that's a good discussion for you to navigate this week. But for now, let's, let's finish up with the last part of this creation account of how this world came into being. And then, then I want to show you why it is we long for something that is no longer here. So verse 20, God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And I love the wisdom in this. I'm glad God didn't flip-flop that, that there's birds teeming in the sky above us and that there's just some fish below. Um, It would be a messy creation if the sky teemed with birds. But God said, let the water team with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth. So God created the great creatures of the sea. Some translations say the, the sea monsters. The things that we're so afraid of because we just imagine some big, horrible beast beneath you that's just waiting to get you. And Genesis says, don't be afraid of that. God made it. He controls it. He named it. There's no creature that he didn't make. And he also made every living thing which with which the water teems and that moves about in it according, again, according to their kinds with a specific purpose and every winged winged bird the same, according to its kind. According to its kind means it has room to adapt and, and respond to its environment, but it never becomes something else. God made it with a purpose. And just one quick thing on that. I know that you look at the scientific evidence of billions of years old, so many different variations of species, Just a quick analogy for you. If you had five Picasso paintings, kind of, you know, just picture five Picasso paintings up here, would you be able to tell they're from the same person? I I, I probably, he's got similar characteristics and stuff, and you'd say, well, an artist made five different things. Now, pretend we found five paintings 
that all look the same, but they're from thousands and thousands of years ago. We don't know who the painter was. We don't know where it came from. We just have these five paintings, these five pictures that all kind of resemble each other. And someone might say, well, maybe there was one original painting and people just copied it and copied it and copied it. And eventually there were five different ones that all kind of looked the same. And I see the same thing as people look at the creation around them and come to two very different conclusions. You see, I see different creatures, different living things with DNA arranged in a different way to make different creatures. And I think, wow, there's a God who found the perfect blueprint for life. And he just used his same mark on each of them. And another person can look at that same similarity and say, well, there must have been one original organism that just kind of multiplied enough times that we have what we have today. Two same observations, but with a different outcome. I see a God who created things according to their kinds after finding the perfect blueprint for what life can look like. And the reason that's important is because what happens at the end of Genesis chapter one and in Genesis two is when God created you. And we'll get there next week. Verse, uh, one more thing, verse 22. God blessed them. Who did God bless? Quick answer, who did God bless? I don't know. <laughs> it's late, preacher. He blessed the fish and the birds. Now, I know some churches have a blessing of the animals weekend. And I'm like, I don't know if that's for us. And I guess you could bless your dog, your cat, whatever. Um, cats definitely need a blessing. But... <laughs> But in Genesis, God actually blesses birds and fish. And here's what a blessing is. A blessing is when God declares something's potential. A blessing is where God declares or basically guarantees an outcome. He says to the birds and fish, I bless you, be fruitful and increase in number. And with his blessing, they increase in number. And so the Lord blesses you also. He declares about you, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. What he declares with his blessing determines the potential of who you are and what you have. And his blessing is on you. So let's, we gotta go. Let's uh, go to the next verse. Finally, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. The livestock, the creatures that move along the ground. <laughs> Literally in Hebrew, it's the slithery crawly things. That's kind of interesting. The creatures that move along the ground and all the wild animals. Again, each according to its kind with a specific purpose. And it was so. And then on that same day of creation that God made the slithery crawly things, God said this, let us make mankind. And we'll get into this next week because we don't have time today. We ain't got time for that. Uh, we, we don't have time today to get into the creation of humankind. But what I do want to show you is that after God created mankind, this is what happened. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. He looked at the creation. He said, this is very good. And I want you to know what he meant by very good. It wasn't just very good for Adam and Eve. Like, oh, I'm so happy for them. They've got a great place to go, great universe, lots of stars. I'm so happy for them. It's very good. But what was very good about it is that this creation would be a suitable place, not just for Adam and Eve, but it would be a suitable place for God himself to be with them. 
Like you read on in Genesis and there's a part where it says God was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. Like no big deal. God's just hanging out with us. That's what this creation was designed for. But it wouldn't be too long until things changed. And we'll get here in, in a week, week three or week four. We'll talk about how this world became broken. And we'll talk about like, why would God even allow for that possibility to happen? But this world became broken. And as much as we can adore and praise God for what we see around us, what we see in this creation is just a broken version of what, what it was intended to be. The world that was created for you no longer exists because the world that was created for you was very good. There was no suffering in it. There, there was no pain. There was no hardship. And there certainly was no death. God looks at the world today and he says, this is not good. And so there's going to be some times in your life where you struggle. You get lost. And you begin to wonder, where am I? Who am I? Why am I here? But then you'll come to a much more important question. As you ponder your own existence and where you're at, you're almost always going to follow up with the bigger question. Where is God? And how does he fit into this whole mess of a world? What I want to acknowledge and just normalize is that because we were created for a different kind of world, we will always long for something that this world can't give. Number four, you will long for the place that you were created to be. You will long for a place where there is no separation by death. You will long for a place where there is no suffering, where there is no tension, where there are no taxes or inflation. You will long for a place that, as God would say, is very good. You know where you want to get, but it's important to know where you are. Where you are is not where you were created to be. So, question for you. How, where will you go when you don't know where you are? How will you pursue this longing you have for a different world that you were created to inhabit? And what I love is that when you look at the rest of the Bible for the answer to this, you see God's amazing answer. You look at the mess of the world, you say, where is God? And when Jesus was born, he said, I am. The word became flesh and dwelled in this broken world that we ourselves made. And the reason he dwelled here is so that he could pull out of this world, redeem from this world what he loved most about it. You. The creatures, the stars in the sky, they don't mean much to him. The mountains, the lakes, the beautiful creation, he says, I could do without that. But when he confronted Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, instead of destroying this whole thing, I will send a savior, a Messiah, who will undo everything that happened in this garden today. But in the meantime, you'll have to go through some hardship. One day, a man was born through very extraordinary means, with this mysterious story of a virgin birth. And he went around to people acknowledging, I am the promised one. 
And through miracles and healings, he demonstrated a power from God to restore the brokenness and to give a hint of what we're all longing for. But his ultimate promise was not to fix the world in his life, but to redeem it. And so he told people, I am the way. When you don't know where you are, I am the way and the truth and the life. So would you consider that this week? As you look at the creation around you and you're marveled at some of the things we see and discover, the different creatures God created, it is amazing. But we are being amazed at a broken version of what we were created for. When you don't know where you are, you know where you want to be, you don't know where you are, you don't know how you got here, would you remember what Jesus promised? He says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And next week, I want to show you what he can do to a person when he begins to transform their life with the hope that they will inherit the kingdom of God, a, a new heaven and a new earth. And I hope you can come back next week because if, if I have the courage, we're going to tackle some big things about the way we're, we were created. We're going to talk about identity. We're going to talk maybe about gender if, if I have the courage. Um, but we're going to get into some weighty topics that are especially relevant to our world today. So come back for next week for part two of Genesis. For today, let's close with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, in today's text, in Genesis chapter one, there were so many things you showed me this week that just got my attention. Things that made me marvel and gasp and just worship you with gratitude because of the power you had and the way that you created this world. Dear Father, we can't imagine what it must have been like for you to see this perfect creation unraveled because of us and our sinfulness. I can't imagine the grace that you must have had to have with Adam and Eve to say, instead of just wiping this creation out, you would enter it and redeem from it that which you love the most. I know for all of us, there are areas of life, depending on the season, that we want to change and improve. And sometimes we know the destination of where we want to be, but we're kind of lost as far as where we are and how we got there. Would you use your word this week to remind us that we were created for a perfect world and we will long for that, but to see that Jesus is the only way to restore what has been lost. So bless and keep us this week in Jesus' name, amen.